And what happens in most middle school teams, high school teams in America, you have coaches yelling at players to get lower, get lower, play lower. Uh, little Johnny can't. He, you yeah. think he's not trying? He doesn't possess the stability or coordination or mo- whatever it is to get lower. And so you yelling louder is not going to get him to play lower, right? So that's where it comes. All right, now we might have to take him in the weight room, get him a little bit stronger. Yeah. Hold, you know, stability issue, work stability. If it's a single, you know, whatever it is, we'll, we'll get him stronger and more stable. But yelling at him to get wider and low, you know, so what, I want you to get a little wider than you're comfortable being right now. I want you to get down, chest proud, you know, and now let's just keep him in that position. And what are we doing? We're doing isometric hold, right? Now we can work some, you know, dribbling into that, whether, you know, whatever we're doing with the ball doesn't really matter. But let's get him to hold that position to the best of his ability, not yell at him to get lower and lower. Just get a little bit wider and let's hold that position. And just stay with that. And we're going to do that. Every time you come in the door, we're going to get you in that wide, low basketball stance. And sooner or later, you're going to be moving and going through your legs and, you know, driving by people in that wide and low stance. That was athletic performance and basketball skills coach, Bobby White. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, Simply Faster. There are a lot of sports technology companies out there, but Simply Faster is the only website you can go to that features an online store that covers the bandwidth of training technology, from force plates to timing systems to muscle simulators and more. Some products of Simply Faster that I use and love include things like the Freelap Timing System in K-Box or coaches' favorites such as GymAware. Recently, Simply Faster has added two units that as a coach, you should definitely take a look at. The first is the Muscle Lab Contact Grid, which is an extremely affordable and portable step-by-step, literally, system to collect data on jumps, bounds, sprints, agility, hurdle hops, and really as much as your creative mind can imagine. In what used to take a whole runway worth of collecting of data collecting strips, the Contact Grid does it all with only two small strips that together cover up to 40 meters of sprinting. Ground contact time, step rates, rhythms, and beyond are at your fingertips with this device. Another new unit, the VO2 Master, is an ultra-portable gas exchange analyzer. Don't guess on energy system development when you can get direct insight into VO2 capabilities in relation to specific sports skills, rather than uh, being hooked up to tubes on a treadmill or worse yet, a cycle ergometer to get a VO2 max. Think of the VO2 Master as your own gas exchange lab without the tubes and wires. Deepen your analysis in the specific conditioning preparation of your athletes with the VO2 Master today. These products and incredible customer service make Simply Faster your go-to for your sports technology needs. I'm happy to have partnered with them in sponsoring this podcast. Their support has been tremendous, so check them out today at simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Welcome to episode 178 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. On the show, we have Bobby White. Bobby is an athletic performance and basketball skill enhancement coach, and he's based out of northern New Jersey. Bobby has worked with athletes ranging, ranging from beginner to NBA, NFL, overseas professionals. He works with many of the best basketball players in the country. Uh, he spent time in China as the head strength coach for the Guangxi Rhinos. Bobby's story is inspirational. He's overcame severe struggles in his early 20s, turned his life around, and is now a top-level both skills and uh, conditioning and performance coach. And it's this his story really is the epitome of going through the deepest valley to reach the highest mountain. And the whole first portion of this show, you can just 
you can hear the passion, you can hear the inspiration, you can hear just how profound of an impact Bobby is having, not only on the uh, skill or strength outcomes in, in his athletes, but also just an impact on them as a person. And it's awesome to sit down and talk to a coach who cares so much, um, not only about an athlete's success, but more so about that athlete as an individual. And so that's all what the first portion of this show is all about. The second portion of it, we're going to get into the X's and O's, nuts and bolts of being a skill and strength under one roof, one-stop shop for basketball players. I really, you could apply the concepts to any athlete, but court, this uh, the second half is court uh, athlete specific. And Bobby's going to get into his philosophy of the general, the physical baseline, the base of that pyramid physically for what you need to play the game of basketball. He's going to get into specific KPIs and measures for what he wants to see out of players from a movement perspective, as well as building um, a base of movement before before the strength and before all those things come in and getting players to move well and properly. He's also going to talk about year-round basketball and over-specialization. And finally, how the some techniques that he utilizes to de-stress players in, in the realms of using breath work. And really, this whole show is just, it is a holistic performance show. There's so many elements from the full spectrum, the full circle of coaching that are in here from how we interact with players, how we coach them in the weight room, how we coach them in skills. It's just a great full circle show, and I really have enjoyed my time talking with Bobby White. Uh, let's get on to episode 178. Bobby, it's awesome to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Joel. Yeah, hey, I usually I usually don't start off my shows with a, hey, well, uh, I'm always trying to jump mid-conversation, but I wanted, to, I wanted to do this one formally because I, you are a person that I would love to just start this off by sharing a, or learning from you a little bit of your history and how you got into this, uh, where you're, where you are now in the sports world. So I, I grew up, um, I was the only son. I had six sisters. Um, from the time I can remember my, my sisters always knew what they wanted to be when I grew up and they became doctors, lawyers, um, very successful people in my entire life. But, you know, I, I was, what am I going to be? I had no idea, but I fell in love with sports at a young age. Um, more looking back on it, it was the time I got to spend with my father, whether he was throwing me pitches on the baseball field or rebounding for me on the court. That was a time where I could be myself, be with my dad and start building that, you know, and just, you know, be a kid and not be worrying about whatever else was going on in life and school and how, if I was, you know, fitting in or not and all the stuff we go through as we grow up sports for me was a way to spend time with my dad. It was a way to work on myself. And, um, that's kind of how it started. And then I got older and I, I played everything. I played tennis. I played, I was on the swim team. I played basketball. I played soccer. I ended up playing football. I, I did everything you could have met karate. Um, but I, I never specialized in anything and I was mediocre at everything. I wasn't, you know, the great, I was never a superstar. I was never the best on the team. I was a very hard worker. I knew work ethic. I knew, you know, I'd show up on time. I knew to, my dad taught me to be the hardest worker on the team. And that was all great. But I, I struggled as an athlete because I, I never really had, the, I never developed the confidence. Um, when I was with my dad and he was rebounding for me, I could, I could make every shot I took. I could, I could get into that flow state where I could just, you know, 
beat. I could just shoot the ball. I could not relax, but then something would happen where I'd get around my peers or in a high school environment and I, I would tighten up. I'd be worrying about making mistakes. I'd be doing that. So I, I never really put it all together. Um, I ended up focusing on basketball uh, when I got into high school and then I went through some you know, injuries I in high school and um, I, I always wanted to be a division one player. I didn't end up being a division one player. I ended up being a division three player. And I, I got up there. This is where kind of my story takes a drastic turn. Um, when I was young, I was, I was part of the youth group. I did things. I was a, I was a good kid. And um, somewhere along the line, it became more important to me to want to fit in. And uh, I began drinking. And by the time I got to college, I was, uh, I was an ex- what I would call an experienced drinker. And, you know, sports took a backseat to that. And while playing basketball up in, uh, I was in upstate New York at Utica College, I had a big injury my junior year where I had a herniated disc. And at that time in my life, um, I, w- I-, I had no direction. I, you know, I-, I knew I liked basketball. I knew I liked working out, but I, I was kind of lost as a person. And I, um, and I, 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 when I got injured, I, I lost basketball, which was holding everything together. And I fell into the partying and it got really bad and it turned into, you know, an opiate addiction, which I carried in for the next, uh, three years and ended up, um, to speed the story up. I ended up stealing from people that loved me, my parents, my sisters from, from anybody I could um, because I was hurting. And um, it, it, it took some really bad stuff for me to happen. For, it took some really bad things happening to me to get me to a point where I had to ask for help. It got so bad that I, I couldn't admit what I'd become. I, you know, I had accomplished people in my family and this and that. And here I am, you know, struggling and doing drugs every single day and stealing from people. And I was so scared of what would happen if people found out who I really was. So I ended up getting caught and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that was, I had to tell you the date, it was November 18th, 2012, I got caught. And since that day, it's been almost seven years that, you know, I don't drink, I don't drug, I don't do anything, but that was just the first step, right? I I got in a lot of trouble. I got caught. And now here I am at 24 years old. I I don't have, I I didn't end up, I was in college for five years. I didn't graduate. I was, you know, what am I going to do? And then I thought back to when I was in high school and the last time I was happy, the last time I was happy is when I was, you know, I I was training. I had unbelievable trainers in high school, both on the court and in the weight room. And I thought back to, I was part of a youth group and I was traveling around the country being service to people and helping people out. I was like, the last time I was happy is when I was helping other people. When I was in the gym, when I, I remembered shooting the foul shots or, you know, um, batting practice with my dad and the times where I could just like be myself. And I'm like, all right, let me reach out to my trainers. You know, what do I have to do to be, to do this? And I, I, I sent a heartfelt email to these guys that I kind of worship that I looked up to. And they told me to get this certification, to do this, to do this. And for the first time in my life, I, I took that initial step right into that uncomfortability. Right. And I took that step. And before I knew it, I'm, you know, I'm certified with NASA. Then I go through all the FMS stuff. And then my trainer happened to be my first boss happened to be with the New York Giants at that time. And then I'm in the Crest Diagnostic Center, part of an FMS team going in there and screening the Giants. And I've got Odell Beckham and Eli Manning right next to me. And I'm a year sober. And I'm like, what is going on? 
right? And how did this happen? How did it happen was I, I, I had to be broken first. I had to realize that my way wasn't working, that all the years of insecurity through high school and growing up, uh, it, it was all in my head. It wasn't true. It was all the stuff that I would tell myself, but I, I never really knew how to ask for help. I could ask for help, but I wasn't willing to take it. So what I learned was that I had to be honest with what I'm going through, with what I'm struggling with. And then the second I started asking for help, right? The second people started helping me and guiding me and that I don't have to do everything alone. And I've kind of just taken that for the last seven years now. And I, I do my best every single day when I wake up. So I talked about, you know, kind of how I got into it. And then from there, I just kept taking, I said yes a lot. You know, if there was a new client coming in the gym originally, who wants this? I'd send an email back before anybody I want. One. And then before I knew it, you know, I'm, I'm training 12 hours a day and it, then it got too much and then I'm crazy. Um, but that's kind of, I guess, how it happens. Man, th that's a, a powerful story. And I think, I mean, we could probably spend the whole podcast just talking about yeah. your story too. I know it's as a training show, but it's, yeah. it's really an incredible and, and inspirational road to where you're at. Um, I think, I mean, myself, I'm a little, a little non-traditional into how I got my job, but you, but you are definitely on that as non-traditional into the spectrum as it gets and i you know the most respect for what you've done and how you've gotten to the like that transition and how you got to where we are now i i think it's always so true things always happen for a reason right i love how you remember the date of that transformation in your own journey yeah it's it's a very important date and uh i as bad as my life was i don't regret it because it's turned me into the person that i am today my ability to relate with people who struggle right and every athlete comes to me because they're struggling and they don't i don't know if they really know it in that sense that they're coming to me because they're struggling but they're coming to me to get better because they're not happy with their current situation right so whether it's a skill acquisition problem where they need to get better with the ball in their hand or whether it's on the performance end of things where they need to get stronger and faster they're coming in here because they're struggling in their sport and i get struggle there's one thing i understand it's struggle it's it's i've been through some you know dark and scary stuff in my life but uh i'm so grateful for it at this point which is uh is amazing because i was it, at first it was you know shame that you know how could i become this how could i do this but now it's you know thank god i went through that because now i can really help kids you know and I always talk about, I, I could care less if I create a really good bet. So I'm training basketball players at this point. 99% of my athletes are basketball players. And I could care less if, if they become a really great basketball player. If they don't like who they see in the morning when they look in the mirror. And uh, I try to remind myself of that constantly. So before we, you know, when I'm working with athletes, before we get into whether it's the performance side of things, we're getting them stronger, jumping higher, or whether it's we get into the skill work where we're teaching them how, you know, how to shoot, dribble, move, all that kind of stuff, right? I want to, I want to, I want to look at the human first. I want to look at who that person is. I want to learn as much about what drives them. Why are they here? Who are they? And once I start to learn about these kids and who they are, it's not even kids at this point. It could be, you know, guys trying to play professionally or whoever it is. The more I can learn about them, the more I can help. So that's what I do. Dude, that is awesome stuff, man. I, I feel it reminds you a little bit about uh, what uh, Douglas, uh, Douglas Heal to Be Activated uh, clinic said. Uh, this was like five years ago. And this is universal. It wasn't just, I mean, this is... A universal philosophy and knowledge, but the idea of you can only uh, you can only give to athletes what you have, and I think what you have is often a product of your struggles and overcoming those struggles. And so many of us, 
uh, I think so myself, I mean, I've had a pretty easy life, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I, and, and it's almost in the sense, like sometimes you, uh, are going that, that you need to continually go inside and, and, and renovate. And it's, uh, I, I hear your story and I just think of how much power there is in, in your experiences and that almost like that, like magnified your that service, that heart of service and that athletes get to experience that. That's awesome for your athletes uh, now. And, and uh, it's really such a cool story. I love how you said, um, just talk about the athlete first. Cause ironically that was the last podcast I released is the, the uh, human first athlete second and the, the sport athlete or sports specialist, basketball, football in the last one, but whatever your sport is third. And I think that, I mean, that's like, that's the dream, really, if, if all of coaching was of that mentality. I mean, obviously, there's, we live in a growth economy, people, you know, money's always going to be a thing and, and, and success and all that. But I mean, I love how the method by which you quantify success, I think is, is really, really important. Yeah, really. So I, I play it before, again, I'm talking about kind of how I go through training an athlete before we touch the gym before we get in the gym, before we get on the court, before we even get there, I, I just want to sit down and talk, you know, and, and I play a couple of games to really get to know them where I, to long story short, I ask them, what's important to you about, let's say their goal is to, I want to score 20 points a game next year, right? That, that's where they come in. They tell me the goal is to score 20 points a game next year. And I go, what's important to you about that? They answer, I say, what's important to you about that? What's important? And the more I ask what's important to you, Right. The more they get from surface level, 20 points a game or more eyes on me, more followers on Instagram, the more I ask what's important, the more they get to, you know, soul level stuff, the stuff that's on the inside, the stuff that's really driving them. And once I can find out what's really driving them, well, I want to make my dad proud or I want to get into a college so I can have a beautiful life. I want to be happy. Um, I want to, you know, and eventually it gets down to stuff like that. And once I find that stuff, you know, I have the keys to them where they come in and they're not giving me effort. They come in or, you know, they're falling off track. You know, give me a workout today that's going to make your dad proud. And what's that going to do to a high school athlete? Give me a workout today, right, that's going to make your mom proud. Or if it's one of my pro guys that dream of playing the NBA, give me a workout today that's going to set your family up for the rest of their lives. And what does that do? Oh, okay, let's go. You know, no matter what they went through that day, if their girlfriend broke up with them, whatever it is, right? Okay, I got them present now. Now they know why they're here. And it's so much more important. I could have the best program in the world, right? Which I, you know, do I? I don't know. I, I put a lot of time in this. I read, I learn, I go to different certifications. I do this, I get on the court. I surround myself with the smartest people I know where I feel dumb, you know, because that's how I know that's what makes me feel better. But I could have all of this knowledge and put it into the best program in the world. But if they're not excited to be there, if they don't want to be there, if they don't know why they're there, it doesn't matter. Because they're not going to do it. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Intention, intention is everything. Yeah, if you don't have that 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 burning desire to be good and the intention, then that's that's always the first brick. <laughs> uh, it's always the first brick, no doubt. Um, I know. Uh, so I, I I would like to shift a little bit into uh, both this. I, I know we talked about before, like you uh, a pyramid. You talked about a pyramid of of building a player. Um, and I know sure. too that you, um, so I guess we can take this a few ways, but I know that, well, one thing that is unique to you that we've shared a lot of conversation with was the benefits of keeping uh, skill and strength in one, one umbrella, like you, you being a one-stop shop for, uh, basketball doing their skill work and their strength work. And there's, I think there's more and more emergent coaches, 
um, in all areas of the field who are doing that thing. And so could you chat a little bit, I guess first um, share with me based off the, what we've just been talking about, your uh, the basically the, the pyramid of what builds an athlete. And then maybe we can get into some of the skill and strength combinations. All right. So if we're, we're looking at the athlete as a pyramid at the bottom. You, you can start with breath if you want to at the bottom, right? We're breathing. We're a living organism, right? Above that is how we move. We bend, we squat, we rotate, we push, we pull. We all know that, right? So we, we've got to look, are we moving okay? Up from that, we're going into performance, right? We're looking at I don't know, reactivity, vertical jump, uh, explosiveness, uh, change of direction, whatever that we've got performance, right? Above that, we've got think what nutrition, sleep, um, what are you putting into your body? Are you taking care of your body? Above that, you've got things like coachability, um, work ethic, uh, you know, kind of that realm. The top part of that pyramid is the skill, right? And what I've found by keeping that entire, they need all of it. Right. If I'm a basketball player, right, I I need to have the performance. I need to move well. I need to put the right things in my body. I need to work on all of it from the ground up. I am that you take any of that out, the pyramid starts to crumble. Right. So what happens now, right? We've got skill guys, we've got performance guys, we've got nutritionists, we've got PTs, we've got breathing guys, (laughs) we've got all these different guys out there. All these different guys putting different information out there. Imagine being a kid today with all the information out there and trying to figure out, right, what the heck am I supposed to do? Do I need yoga? Do I need this? Do I need what? So what I've done is put that whole pyramid in one location. Now, they can come there and they can work on their bodies. They can work on their skill. And, it, it, you know, time is always a factor. You know, they're going to this guy. They got practice here, this here, this here. And now by putting it all under one roof, right, I, I've simplified it. I've streamlined it. And I continue to try to – now I've got that kind of figured out, right? I had, have a whole bunch of things I haven't figured out. But I have kind of streamlined this approach to training basketball players where they can come to one spot and get hopefully everything they need to get to the next level wherever they want to go. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, hundred percent. I and so in terms of keeping skill and strength in, in one, uh, it's definitely. I think it definitely could be a lot more efficient because uh, with any organization, the more minds, um, the more yeah. people, the more disorganized it can get. So obviously, even in those places where it's a separate silo, it's, if there's good communication, obviously that it can be very efficient. But I think that. Um, it's, it's always good to talk to people who are doing work on both sides of those things. So what, what is a typical, uh, like what is a typical training week or, or I guess even day tend to look for, uh, for you working with your players when they're obviously their first emphasis uh, or their primary emphasis is becoming better at basketball. And obviously you have that, that human element asking them and, and what's their inner drive, but they're there to get better at the game. Um, and so how does that look, uh, how does that shake out when you're actually working with them on a, a daily basis? So, you know, they can sign up for once a week or twice a week or whatever it is, but I've got it staggered. So I, I, I don't call people beginners, intermediate and advanced anymore because it seems to frustrate parents that they don't want their kid to be in a beginner class or vice versa. So I've got level one, level two, level three, right. And w- I get to decide what level you are. Right. And, but I've got it staggered. So let's say 
I'm doing everything semi-privately or small group on the court. The, the strength stuff is all semi-private where I have it set up where they can come in and get their strength work in at five and then go immediately onto the court at six. So they're coming for two hours and they come in and they're going through, you know, when they first come in, they're going through their mobility stuff or their warm-up stuff. And we get them into their program, whatever their lifting program is, they're done. I try to give them five, 10 minutes at the end to breathe, to calm down, to, you know, recover a little bit. And then they're going on the court for the next hour with another trainer. And they come in and they're getting something that they can't do anywhere else. And I, at first I was kind of, you know, well, what are you? Are you a skill guy? Are you a strength guy? Well, if you're a skill guy, you can't be that good of a strength guy. Or if you're a strength guy, you can't be that good of a skill guy. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, I believe in myself. So I'm going to keep doing this. But now I've set myself apart seven years later, you know, overnight, seven years later, now I've set myself apart. We're in my area, uh, you know, New Jersey that if, you know, you want to get better at basketball and stronger, I'm your guy. And uh, I, I just continue to try to make it as streamlined and seamless as possible, you know. And, yeah, that's it, I guess. Yeah, so with, uh, with the strength work particularly, this is something I'm always thinking of is, um, excuse me, uh, <laughs> uh, because, because you're doing all the skill work and you're seeing, you're seeing so much through that, does your does your strength work become uh, more? Uh, I'm not sure how to frame this question, but here's here's what I'm trying to say: is does your is your strength work just extremely general? You're not really trying to be specific with things towards basketball and strength work, or are you trying to find some specificity in the weight work in what you do? Yeah, the specificity comes in. You know, the specificity of the core comes into play with mostly of the skill work but in the sport of basketball they are jumping they are cutting they are changing directions they are breaking down a lot of them are playing like i said five games on the weekend they're on six different teams going this where they're constantly jumping they're constantly moving they're constantly doing that so a lot of you know what what do they need and that's what i i, I ask myself every day what what is the best do i need to do a ton of plyos with these kids depends on you know that could depend on who's in front of me but you know they need a baseline of strength a lot of these kids are incredible basketball players but you put them in a weight room environment and they're fish out of water you know they, they've got no control right so i'm always focused on the movement first right c can they own the positions right are they are they stable on one foot right do they decelerate properly can they get to the right positions that are going to carry over the sport did I answer that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So when, so in regards to your actual, so yeah, and that's kind of like I thought. Um, so because your uh, strength program is, or because you're always around the skills and they're always playing and they're always doing specific stuff through play or skills, um, the the weight room is a little bit. It's a little bit more general in nature, like the like the lifts and the things like that. But then you want to see if they can do a few, and that's what I wanted to get into too. Is some of the main yeah. key performance indicators for various skills. Um, but, but then there are in the context of, I guess, the gym or the weight room, if you will, there's a few key physical qualities that you do need them to be able to do. Like you said, like decelerating or, or working on one leg. Yeah. So it, that's, I mean, I guess my, I'd have to start with my process of, all right, so we got them out of that initial meeting, finding out who they are. Now I, I want to find out who they are as an athlete, right? And that's why it, it's kind of a player by player basis that I have to look at it. What what does this player need? What does this player need? So if I come in, I can bring it through an FMS. I can I can look at their you know different moving patterns. 
take that for what it is, right? But then I can take them into performance testing, which I've recently got into the functional capacity screen, which allows me to look at motor control, that allows me to look at postural control, explosive control, and impact control. And then from there, I'm going to get a whole blueprint of what this athlete really needs. Now, I come in a lot, a lot of times these kids come in, they're banged up, their back hurts, their knees hurt. So I'm looking at their ankles, you know, before I'm even trying to get them to jump higher or be more explosive, right? Uh, are, are there are their joints doing what their joints are supposed to do? Uh, is their ankle doing what their ankle is supposed to do? Can they, you know, can they stand on one foot? Do they have proper motor control? Do they have these things? And then I kind of just go up the ladder. Yeah. So that, that actually brings me to it. Maybe before we talk about um, like the movement key performance indicators. Uh, and this is where I think there's a strong area of controversy is the like FMS. And I'm sure some right. people heard you say FMS earlier in the show and they're like, hmm, like, you know, it always I think it <laughs> yeah. always um, elicits a particular response from people, especially, you know, given the research or how you can look at movement screens or things like that. But I, I know that you have a very in-depth uh, look at that. And obviously you're a guy who's always connecting, you're always connecting it to the skills and the outputs and how that pyramid all works together. So could you, uh, share your experience with and thoughts on movement screens, purpose, how you utilize them and, uh, how that fits into your system? Yeah, I, I, I think it's taken for what it's not supposed to be. Right. I, I think people will, you know, they're looking at the reports coming out that it, it's not doing anything in terms of injury prevention or this or that, or, you know, there's no real, you know, they're, they're trying to put numbers to, to how effective it is in terms of an injury prevention tool. Right. But all I, I'm just using it for what it is. I'm going to, I'm going to look at his squat, you know, can he squat? Uh, no, or he's a one in his squat. So I'm just, I'm just taking mental notes or I'm taking actual physical notes, writing all this down. And he comes in, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, everyone knows it's out of 21. I'm not looking to get this kid. My goal is not to get him to a 21. My goal is to get him better at his sport. Right. And I always have to think that. So if I know he can't, if he can't achieve a proper depth on his squat, or if his leg raises a one, or he's got shoulder, you know, mobility issues where he's a three one, or he's got these big deficiencies or asymmetries, right. That's just stuff. I want to take notes of it. Do any of these movements cause pain, right? All right, he comes in, he's quite, oh, my back hurts. Oh, my knees. All right, these are just things that I'm getting information that I could, yes, it's objective, right? I know everything. Yes, it's objective. Two people could screen and get different scores. But for me, it helps me just create a blueprint of the athlete, right? And then because of all this controversy, what does that do? I'm not just going to, I'm not going to take a side. I'm going to look at the other side. So that's why I went out and I went through um, FRC and the functional range conditioning and all that. So now I'm learning about, you know, controlled articular rotations and this and that. And now instead of looking at patterns and movements, I can look at joints. It's the ankle doing what the ankle is supposed to do. It's the shoulder and I can start and it's confusing, right? I don't, I, I study this. I learn about this all the time and I'm just, how can I put this into an hour session? How can I put this into a program? Right. And I just use it all together as a tool and it's just putting different tools in my tool bag. Right. So now, yeah, we can look at patterns for right? more of global movement. And then I can also look at joint function. Is this joint doing what it's supposed to do? Right. The, the better I can prepare your you know, we can't possibly, one of my favorite things to say, we can't train every single movement in the weight room that you're going to have to do on the basketball court, but we can do our best, right. To get your joints to be able to do. So sorry, we can't train every movement, right. In a weight room right? you're going to squat, I don't know, an infinite amount of ways in the game of basketball. You're going to lunge in different directions. There's no, it's not purely linear. It's not purely, you know, 
sagittal. There's all these different variabilities that go into the movement when we play the game of sport. But are your joints, the more range of motion and active control we can give you, right, the more positions you're going to be safe in, right? And it just, it just gives me more information. It gives me a better blueprint. It gives me a better picture in my head of what I want to do with this athlete to get him to his goal. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's, there's nothing ever bad with it. Um, like you said, athletic movement is so insanely complex. And I think at some point, any coach needs to find some sort of scaled down way just to observe movement. Um, whether you, I think whether you put a number on it or not, that, I mean, I think we all, I mean, what strength coach doesn't get great information by watching an athlete do a squat or an overhead squat, it, whether you, whether it's part of a system or not, it's, um, it's all really, it's important information in the system or if you can do things with pain or without. So, um, yeah, I think that all, it all works its way into our own thought processes, whatever, um, and in reducing things. And I like what you said about, yeah, you can never, you can never do all the movements in the weight room. I think sometimes maybe we kind of act like we do when we do like a lateral lunge or something like that or lateral step. Yeah. But it's like, this isn't even close. Like this is, this is a shade yeah. of the possibilities of what you're actually going to be getting in sport. We're, we're really nowhere near it with what we're actually achieving in the weight room. Right. Um, yeah. The, the more I, I just, I don't know. I, I like it because I, I like being able to have, things on paper. I like being able to, all right, we're here and then, you know, we want to get here. The more information I can get on these guys that it kind of makes sense that have some type of structure, the more structure that I can get right on them, the more I can end up doing it. The more I again, get to learn about them and who they are as athletes. Um, and then it, it allows me to, you know, get more focus on what they need. You know, if this kid comes in and he squat, boom, boom, Beautiful squat, good leg raise, three, good this that. All right, you're good. We're just, we got to lift. We got to get you moving, right? Or if I have a kid come in that can't do any of that, all right, we need to spend some more time on on how you move, and then we'll get you, you know, maybe some weights in your hands down the road. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, yeah, using it to always. There's always different needs for different athletes, and I think the the ability to put numbers. I, I think we we tend to look at systems fairly critically, but just the idea that how are you showing progress and whatever you're screening, whatever you think is worthy of improving, how are you showing progress in that? Or how are you uh, indicating um, if it's val if you think it's valuable to improve, like having some sort of um, system or number or, or something behind it. I definitely, I think that makes, that's definitely um, something that has some power to it. Yeah. And even getting a kid come in on the, or an athlete to come in on his first day and he can't touch his toes. And, you know, a week later he's touching his toes. That's creating buy-in. You know, we got him to do something that he couldn't do. You know, whether it's something standing on one foot and doing a single leg toe touch, you know, and just doing these things that look, you're trying to play, you know, division one basketball, but you can't stand on one foot. You know, (laughs) that, that gives me something. Yeah, no, for sure. And the one foot standing stuff is so illuminating too. Like doing uh, in in my time um, with Dr. Tommy John, just doing like standing hip circles and a, a number of each. Uh, we're staying on one leg and the other leg you're doing uh, circles with the other foot in three different directions. And, and just how many people start getting just so utterly fatigued in the arch of their foot or their shin in a very short period of time. It shows that there's some muscles that are not uh, doing some, either they're not doing their job correctly or, and you wonder, well, how did you get to this point where you play this sport, but you can't, <laughs> this is so right. hard for you, you know? Yeah. 
I watch a kid come into a 360 windmill, then I bring him outside, take his shoes off, and tell him to touch his toe, and he falls down. Like, what? <laughs> oh, man. And I see it all the time. It, this isn't, like, uncommon. I, I, I get great basketball players, and you put them into situations that we would think are no-brainer situations, and, and they can't do it. Can you hold a split hold? Can you get to a good depth? And, you know, can you look good in a split hold? And I put them in a split, they get down there and they're, they're falling over. They're wobbling. It's, it's, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I look at like too, it's like almost, well, if you're doing a 360 windmill, you certainly have to have a lot of qualities in the sagittal frontal and transverse plane to pull that off. So the, but I mean, even those athletes I'm sure have areas that they are lacking in or haven't developed in, yeah. or, or if they haven't been doing that many other sports or anything like that. But now that kid, I'll come in and he'll be a nine on his FMS. Does that mean he's a bad, like, what is that? He's a nine out of 21 on his FMS, but he could do a 360 windmill and is a top 20 player in the country. The FMS isn't a performance. Like, it, it, am I going to use that to judge this athlete? No, it's just one tool that I can, okay, so we need to, he's not good here. We can make this better and maybe getting him to move better, right, with this, right? That's just going to give me... It's going to, again, it's going to give me more information on them that I wouldn't have had if I didn't have some type of structure assessment. And, you know, what else are you doing? If you're not doing that, what are, what are you doing? Do you have a system? Is there a way to, you know, is, what are you doing if you're not doing some type of movement assessment? Yeah. That reminds me a little bit too. Yeah. You said that Le- Le- LeBron James getting that bad score on the, the we get 11, right? yeah, same. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. It must've been an 11. Um, so yeah, kind of same thing, but like you said, it's information that you didn't have before about that person and there, and I'm sure if you see that long enough, um, like you can start to formulate trends and, and your intuition can start to formulate trends on different people or different patterns and things like that. Um, just having more information. Uh, so I, I did want to get into, uh, you know, since you're, you're having under one roof, one shop, so to speak. Uh, some of the main KPIs or key performance indicators you're looking for in regards to various basketball skills. And I think this could be a really long talk, but what are the main, um, so could you just get into, and, and maybe this can kind of illuminate some of your teaching process and what you're doing, but could you get into some of the main movements that you're trying to allow athletes to be better in, um, how you're teaching and working with that? Um, perhaps and I don't want to make this too many questions. I have a, ch- a tendency to do that, but perhaps we can also work in, uh, like the perception reaction component or how you, uh, allowing them to be better decision makers, but perhaps let's just start with, um, just key movements. You're trying to get them to be really good at in, in the sport of basketball. All right. What do we, what do we want them to be able to do? Well, right. And it's I, I've got here. I've asked. These are two of the top coaches in the state of New Jersey that coach teams that are on a nationally that play national schedules. And at one point, I asked them five athletic attributes to improve on, right, within your athletes. Now, these are high school coaches that coach two of the best teams in New Jersey. Uh, the first coach says agility, speed, explosiveness, lean mass, flexibility. The second coach says explosiveness, natural movement, quick jump, allowing for a second jump core strength, playing with a lower, better base, right? So that that's what, so my question for them is, all right, so what are you doing to work on that? And I look at their practices and what they're spending all their time on. And it's not that, right? They might yes. think it's that, but it's not. So that, that's a whole nother topic. But these, that, like my, as I already said, 
my best basketball players are not my best lifters. They're not my best guys in the weight room, right? I, I'm putting, I, I want you to be able to control your movement, right? So initially I'm starting with, car, you know, let's, let, let's get them through some cars. Can we focus and, and try to just give them more control over their bodies, whether it's, you know, shoulders, hips, leg, can they stand on one foot, right? Are they stable, right? Are they, can they, are, are they going to be able to use their explosiveness safely? Right. Or do they not have control? Right. So I'm just, whatever the workouts are, I don't think there's much like, you know, uh, is it squatting? Is it single leg work? Is it pushing? Is it pulling? Is it this? Or am I looking for exact numbers in, in that? No, but let's get him a good base of strength first. Let's do some GPP, right? How does this push up look? How does he, you know, when, how does he perform under load? Let's get him some loaded carries. Is he breaking down? Is, can he, can he move well? Can he hold things? Can he, is he stable? Is that kind of stuff. And that's from just, I guess now six years of watching this and progressing, it's, it's basic stuff. I do a lot of, you know, really slow. I, I love slow eccentrics, controlled negatives, teaching them how to like load and absorb and, you know, have soft knees and do all that types of stuff. But I'm not, you know, can he bench 300 pounds? I don't care. Can he squat 600 pounds? No. How does it look when he does it? You know, does he look athletic? Does he look stable? Does he look strong? Yeah, I guess. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. <laughs> yeah. So, so with in terms of like on the court itself, though. So for so for yeah. example, um, like like play like anything. Is there anything you're trying to achieve? And this was a. a a podcast that we just released in terms of um and maybe because this is probably fresh on my head because of this and this is probably why i'm asking it but for example uh when an athlete is going by a defender or if they're um they're doing certain movements on defense or offense or is there any certain movements on the court that you have any sort of um i mean this this might work into like the self-organization like here's the objective get around this guy and they're just going to organize they're going to organize the movement the best way they can with the physical tools they can so maybe i'll start here as they um do you have do you have any sort of set series on on basic basic ways to do drills in the in the world of basketball like footwork basic important um like I guess you could get into, and I've talked about this, what's more important, but but getting into like shin angles or where you're placing your feet or how you're going by a defender, any of that stuff, is any of that stuff present? I mean, that would be a better way to ask. Yes. Uh, versus um, just saying, okay, here's the problem and use and solve it. And then let's use the general physical like you were just talking about to enhance the whole, the whole system. Yeah. Again, uh, starting, let's go from the ground up. When we're young and we start dribbling a basketball, generally the first thing we want to do is put the basketball through our legs, right? Uh, was that your experience? Um, yeah, I, I was. Oh, I was horrible at dribbling, but I did want to do all the tricks. Like I wanted to do like the spider and right. all these things. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so yes, I would say yes. So we want we want to put the ball through our legs, but at a young age, we're not capable of doing that. What we do is we lift our leg up and we kind of throw the ball underneath our leg, right? So we're, we're, we're moving our body around the implement or the ball, right? But basketball, we want to be able to control. We don't want to be able to move our body around the ball. We want to be able to 
have control of the ball around our body. So we learn from a young age kind of backwards, right? So I've got to kind of rewire that. So I start with simple stuff with timing where we're, we're just going to walk and I want you to like you're walking through the park without a ball in your hand, but I want you to also work on timing where every time you dribble with your right hand, when that ball hits the ground, I don't know if you can picture this, when that ball hits the ground, your left step, your left foot is hitting the ground, hmm. right? And, right? So now we're, it looks, when I do it, it looks simple because I've done it for a long time, but you're walking in a straight line and the ball hits the ground when your left foot hits the ground and you just keep that rhythm and now you're building rhythm. But what happens is they start to walk like, you know, walking dead zombies, right? They're strict or they, they can't keep that timing and also keep a natural state, right? A natural, you know, like you're walking in a park, right? So we just work on that. And now we're learning how to time. We're learning because if you look at the best basketball players, right, watch their timing. Generally, when that ball's coming down, their opposite foot is hitting the ground at the same time. And that has a lot of benefits that I won't get into. But from there, all right, now can we walk naturally, right? And put the ball through our legs and just start building it up. All right. So now we're walking. The ball's moving. They look comfortable. They don't look like they're, you know, stressing or off balance or, you know, zombie like in their movements, right? They're walking. All right. Now they're starting to build comfort with the ball. And we do that from there. Now, knowing what I know from the performance side, right? Let's get them to skipping, right? Some contralateral where, where they're skipping with a basketball in their hand, right? And once we can start to do that, the ball becomes an extension of our body and our body's doing athletic things, moving the ball around us rather than moving our body around the ball or trying to adapt to the ball. The ball is, it's becoming in tune with us as movers, as athletes, right? And now we start to show actual real control where I can be an athlete and I'm not strict. Um, and then from there, it's just, we just build up, all right? So we call it a, a getting into that split position, right? Whether you put the ball through your legs or you get into that split position, we, you call it a plyo step or a fall step where your back foot is going back, right? Are they stable in that position? Which I can see if, I, if I'm trying to drive by somebody, right? I want to be able to generate downhill momentum, we call it in the basketball world. We want to get downhill, right? We can do that when our foot goes back. We drive our foot into the ground. We would in track, you call it a plyo step or whatever, right? Call it a plyo mm -hmm. step. But here we're going to call it a drop and we're teaching them how to generate that downhill momentum, right? Where if I can get them just that simple timing of where I'm splitting my feet, but the back foot is hitting before the front foot, watch somebody beat somebody off the dribble, right? Their back foot is going to be hitting the ground a split second before their front foot and they're going to be getting downhill. Um, yeah. So that, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, and I just build on that and we keep challenging the footwork. I try not to overcue. I want them to be able to self-organize. I have players that are great with cones and med balls or whatever tools we're doing, but then we put them in a game and, and they melt down. So I, I, I'm trying to keep them at the edge of their ability. I'm trying to, you know, just if I'm seeing something that's off, you know, if I'm seeing that they're not able to, to, generate the momentum the way they should if they're not able to move the way they should you know i'm going to highlight it i'm not going to stress it but i'm going to highlight it. hey try this do this right and just get them to be able to put themselves in more athletic positions that open up more options for them when they play right basketball isn't a thinking game it's a reacting game right we're not thinking when we play we want to get into that flow state where we're just we're just playing we're just moving we're just reacting to what the defense gives us and we're not thinking about or internalizing all the different movements or because it's a very very complex game and if you start to think about you know let's take a jump shot the worst thing you do with a jump shot you know as a to work with trying to teach somebody or correct a faulty jump shot is so hard because the last thing you want to do when you shoot a basketball is think about your form 
right? So if you have bad form, how do we take them from that? If you want to go from the spectrum of unconscious, unconscious incompetence to conscious or to unconscious competence, right? We go, what's the best way to do that? And I'm kind of, you know, I don't have it down yet. It's not perfect, but I have found ways to, you know, to, 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 to not overly cue, allow them to, to self-organize and just by getting them in the right positions to be athletic. Yeah, I, I like what you said. Well, a few things that you said I thought were really cool was the first is just the timing and the timing of the dribbling. And if we talk about athletic movement, especially on offense, it's impossible to separate from timing of, of at least dribbling, unless you're not, a, I guess, maybe if you're not a dribbling, so much a dribbling player, maybe there's some differences there. But I it brought me back to what uh, Adarian Barr was saying at a re, uh, the first rewire clinic we did like a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago, and he was talking about that same thing, like when bat, the timing of a player dribbling corresponding with that foot coming down. And it's such a basic, simple thing, but there's still so much. Uh, I'm sure if you watch a player at high speed on the court where they're doing more things, the, it's it's a simple thing at heart. And, and Kevin Foster, who's been on the show a lot, has said this, like like, nothing in sport is really that terribly complicated. The positions are pretty simple. It's just the timing that you get to those positions and all the little subtle joint manipulations are the yeah. things that are really complex to it all. And uh, it's just, to me, it's always interesting too what what gets attention on social media because we live in an attention-based society. And it's like, you know, the, the timing stuff is never going to get that much attention, but that's the most important thing probably. The stuff that gets attention is the stuff that looks bigger and crazier and gives this thought as if right. there's something else out there that you don't know or we don't know. And yeah, there is a lot, but the fact of the matter is it's a lot of it just comes down to doing the simple things a lot better. <laughs> and yeah. I, I like how you start with that, that timing drill. And then another big one that I, you know, that, that what, if I say that the universal basketball stance, right. It's on defense, it's on offense. You watch Kyrie break somebody down, how, how far his feet are, like how wide of a base and how stable of a base that he has, right. When he, when he's attacking somebody off the dribble, how wide and stable he is. So my first step with getting them to be able to move wide and stable is just, can, can we get in that wide athletic stance? Right. And what happens in most, middle school teams, high school teams in America, you have coaches yelling at players to get lower, get lower, play lower. Uh, little Johnny can't. He, you yeah. think he's not trying? He doesn't possess the stability or coordination or mo whatever it is to get lower. And so you yelling louder is not going to get him to play lower, right? So that's where it comes. All right, now we might have to take him in the weight room, get him a little bit stronger. Yeah. Hold, you know, if it's a stability issue, work stability. If it's a single, you know, whatever it is, we'll, we'll get him stronger and more stable. But yelling at them to get wider and low, you know, so what, I want you to get a little wider than you're comfortable being right now. I want you to get down, chest proud, you know, and now let's just keep them in that position. And what are we doing? We're doing isometric holds, right? Now we can work some, you know, dribbling into that, whether, you know, whatever we're doing with the ball doesn't really matter. But let's get them to hold that position to the best of his ability, not yell at him to get lower and lower. Just get a little bit wider and let's hold that position. And just stay with that. And we're going to do that. Every time you come in the door, we're going to get you in that wide, low basketball stance. And sooner or later, you're going to be moving and going through your legs and, you know, driving by people in that wide and low stance. Yeah, hundred percent. That, that is one thing that I've, there's always that kind of split in the sense of, okay, there's, there is some things that you have to work on the skill itself to get better at, but then there's some things that you almost just have to get the general abilities just have to get better before it's going to happen. Yeah. Like playing better defense or probably things like, 
internal rotation of the femur to mm-hmm. possess, possess various agility qualities like Pat Trainer's um, uh, baseball minor league strength coach had said in a previous episode. So it's, there's certain things that you're not going to get playing the game itself that you have to get better at. And that is, I, I, I've never been to that situation, but I can just picture it in my head, parents telling kids to do certain things that they just, they just can't. And I've seen this even with, with youth track and field too. Like there's all the cues in the world I've seen coaches give kids to do, but I'm like, well, number one, I don't know how good that cue is in the first place. And number two, that kid doesn't possess the physical qualities right. needed to execute what you're saying. So it's kind of like a double, like a, it's, a, it's a two for one, like this isn't going to work. And then you think about, too, like the judgment in that kid's head now, too, because he's being told to do something and he just can't do it, you know, it versus a... That's almost the nice thing about the non-specific is you just go and get stronger and be able to move better in a gym setting, a weight room setting, and a lot of these things will start to transfer over organically. And you never even maybe you never even had to know. You'll just start feeling better in your low position, and I think that's yeah. always a good trade-off. Uh, I want to uh, close a couple just quick questions on the way out here, but uh, I know you had mentioned before, Bobby, that a lot of athletes, um, and this is something, I, I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> I don't know how we can get away from this, but but basketball players who are just, it's just year-round. It never stops. It never stops. And I think there's enough attention that's starting to come out in the media. And I remember even hearing a really cool story about like Zion Williamson's mom and restricting his time and things like that. So it's like, so for career longevity and, and, but it's just, it's such a hard thing, but, but your thoughts on people playing year round basketball and early specialization and all those things. And how does that fit in with what you're doing with your athletes? It's, it's a huge problem um, with what's going on in basketball right now. These kids are playing 12 months out of the year and not just playing one or two games, 12 months out of the year. They're going into their AAU seasons where they're playing five, possibly six games in a two-day span, right? The, the Their main basketball season is winter. Winter ends, they go right to AAU season. Spring AAU, spring in basketball world, right, ends up going all the way through summer, right? So spring AAU goes into July. And then before they know it, they're back at school in September. They're on two fall league teams for their high school. And then they're getting ready for winter. And, you know, with the snap of the finger, they just played basketball for 12 months. When you look at sports like football, they play in the fall and the whole other three quarters of the year, they're training for their sport. They're lifting, right? They're getting stronger. They're working on their bodies where then they can go be at their best for the football season. Where in the basketball year, right? Are you working on your skill? Where in the basketball year, are you working on your strength, right? Where there's not many LeBron Jameses out there that are just freak, freak athletes, right? That are not, Zion Williams, is he a great at basketball because he spent hours in a weight room working on his? No, he's had a 35-inch standing vert. That's just who he is, right? We're not all like that. I wasn't like that. I've had to put in a ton of time in the weight. But I, they see these top athletes playing all year round, so they think they need to play all year round or they, they need the exposure, right? But okay, you're getting exposure, but right now what you're really getting is exposed because you haven't put the time in working on your craft and body and skill, right? There needs to be a shift because right now you're going to get burnt out. You're going to get injured. You're going to get, you're, you're not spending any time, one, being a kid, being an athlete, right? Learning other things other than basketball. 
yeah, it's it's a tough problem, and and you wonder you wonder the best way to eventually get it turned around. I know that. I mean, you know, for me in my youth, and I'm sure you as well, like the, the difference between sports was a break on so many levels. I wouldn't have been the athlete I was if I was <laughs> if I was playing basketball 12 months out of the year. I mean, I think there there was always like the screwing around, play 21, play pickup element that existed year round, which is the fun, you know, the, the non-pressure mm-hmm. element that existed. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation for young athletes for sure. And, and, yeah. uh, it's something that I'm always, that I'm passionate about finding the road to hopefully uh, finding remedies for that down the road. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think this is, this is the start of it. You know, we just talk about it, you know, this is a problem. And I think just by bringing that problem up and talking about it and more people being on that page, well, well what can be done, you know, it'll start to be done and, you know, people will start to see the value of, you know, taking a break, you know, maybe all right, this season, we're not going to play you, but you're going to play pickup a couple of days a week, right? You're still going to get a ball in your hand or let's play more one-on-one or two-on-two where you have the ball in your hand more where you can, you know, where it's not as up and down 94 mm-hmm. feet where you're in a half court setting. And then, you know, your, your focus right now should be getting stronger. And uh, if more people start to do that, you know, we'll see the change. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I think, uh, yeah, to have those shifts and bring up those conversations is, is really important. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to ask you, and you mentioned this right before we started talking for the actual recording, but, uh, you're, how are you using breathing and breath work? Cause that I do think fitting in with these athletes who are playing the same thing all the time. There's a lot of pressure and stress and all these things that exist. Um, I know I've always found breath work to be a helpful tool. Uh, how do you utilize that in your own training in your own space? Um, I'll use an example that, uh, uh, in a couple hours, I'll be driving into Jersey City here, and I work with a high school in Jersey City um, that is, should be one of the top teams in the state this year. And I go in there, I get, I get into Jersey City at 2.30. These kids are getting out of school, and they have four minutes from the time the last period ends, right, to get into the weight room and get ready. So it's always a scramble, and they're in there. They're, they're in their school mode where they're talking. They're this and that. They're loud. They're boisterous. They're all that kind of stuff. And before anything else, right? Hey, everybody lay down. All right. Take your shoes off, lay down. Now they're thinking, you know, most player people would come in as a strength coach and try to kill them. You know, let's, let's get the weights out. Let's get this, let's do this. Let's amp them up. Let's get, you know, real fight or flight on you. Let's do all this. And I bring them in and I'm like, all right. And this is an urban neighborhood, right? And we get them in, lay on your backs, hold your fingers, put them on your stomach. Inhale through your nose, fill your belly up with air. You should feel your hands rising to the ceiling. You should feel your belly rising into your hands. Let's let's get a four-second inhale, and let's see if we can get an eight-second exhale. And I start counting, right? And some days I do it for two minutes. Some days I do it for 10 minutes based on how I feel it's going, right? And then these kids are coming in. They're worried about homework. They're worried about girls. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. And now I can take 10 minutes of silence. Hopefully we get, you know, five minutes of silence, whatever it is, where all they're doing is becoming in tune with themselves, where they're focused on their breath. And they don't know it. They don't think of it how I'm thinking of it with getting them into the present, getting them in tune with their bodies, doing all this, calming them down, getting all these, you know, outside distractions out of their head. But that's what's happening. And after some days, it's three minutes. Some days, it's five minutes. I went 10 minutes once with these kids. Three of them fell asleep. Right? These kids' schedules are crazy. They go to school for six to eight hours a day. They have two hours of homework and they're trying to play professional basketball someday. Giving them five minutes to just breathe, to just 
be present is amazing. And I want, and then, hey, stand up slowly. And then I have them introduce themselves. Hey, I'm whoever from, you know, Newark, I'm here, right? And then we start slow. Then I start with some cars, right? You know, now we got them calmed down where they're capable of focusing, right? Teaching cars to high school athletes is not very easy because it takes a lot of focus. It takes irritating. It takes, it's not, it's hard for me to do. And I've been practicing it now for years, right? But now after that breath work where we got them down, at least they can try to focus, right? And then we're doing these slow things. And then I start to explain, if I can get you to focus on your body, right? And, and, and drown out all that noise, this is going to carry over to overtime games when the crowd is going nuts, when your coach is yelling at you, when you're, you know, all this pressure stacked against you. Can you stay calm? Can you stay present? Can you put yourself and not be worried about making mistakes? Can you just focus, right? And all that goes into it. And um, I, it's, it's, you know, just being able to, I don't know, I'm always amazed, like, do I want to do this today? Do I want to have these kids breathe for five minutes? You know, it's kind of boring, you know, but then I do it. I'm like, thank God I did that because now these kids can listen to me. And that's cool. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the more I do <laughs> that type of work, especially in, I think this day and age, uh, you have so many levels of stressors and now even more so uh, the social media and electronic end is amplified and kids uh everybody i mean everybody needs that stuff it's i i one of the books on my reading list is uh ryan holiday's most recent is i think it's stillness is the key or silence is the key and just talking about how a lot of the greatest minds and leaders in the world the, the commonality is like you have to take that time to to be silent and be still and but yet we live in a world that really doesn't facilitate that at all or really prioritize or say that this is an important thing or something to be respected to do that. It's just, it's just hustle and grind. And, and I've, I've found that for me, like personally and with my groups, like I'm always blown. Well, first I'm always just completely and utterly blown away by the response to doing breathing work from the athletes by how much they enjoy and they appreciate it. And and it's 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 really phenomenal it always makes me want to do more of that and then just even in my own life and work i'm a better coach when i do that stuff before the coaching session by far if i do meditation yeah. <laughs> in the morning i'm a much better coach than if i don't and it's just it's a critical part of it all it's so funny you just said that the amount of athletes i have now that like finish up their workout 10 minutes early bobby can i breathe <laughs> yeah go <laughs> yeah you can breathe Go, go lay on the turf and breathe for 10 minutes before you get on the court. Please go breathe. Yeah. yeah. I, I, but like, it's not done enough. Like why? Let's just, let it, we're, we're both talking about the benefits of it and how amazing it is just to be still and breathe. But in the performance world, in the basketball world, when is everybody talking about, you know, being calm and breathing? It's all about, you know, excitement. It's all about jumping higher. It's all about this and that. When athletes need, that they need to breathe they need to be able to like you know just be you know and that's where i find when i when i'm relaxed when i focus on my breath when i'm you know more diligent with the with that kind of down regulation when i step on the court because i still like to play and i do it, it it's i'm not stressed out i'm i'm lighter i'm you know more of that flow state where the the basket looks the size of the ocean you know, that's what I get. You know, I've gotten into it at some points in my life, you know, when I was playing very competitively where it was, it, there's no thought, there's no thinking. It's just 
you know, pull the trigger, hit the three, you know, man up on defense, get down to, you know, and it, that's where I'm trying to get these guys to be. And um, I'm going to keep doing my best. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that it's something that I think fits in with an athlete on multiple like holistic levels too. I think it's really important. And so I'm glad we could talk about that at the end of the show today. So, uh, but I think that's, uh, that's all the questions for the day, Bobby. Thank you so much for your time and really appreciate you being on, telling your story, sharing your process and insight with all of us today. So thanks again, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another show. We appreciate you guys listening. If you enjoy what we're doing, you can support us by heading to iTunes, Stitcher, leaving us a rating or review. We'd really appreciate it. As always, uh, support our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They have the best of in each category of uh, sports performance metrics, tracking data, they have force plates, contact grids, K-Box, gym wear, e- training tools, uh, EMS. Uh, so make sure you check them out as well as their blog and what they're doing. They've been such an awesome supporter of us. All right, that does it for this show. We'll see you guys back next week with another great guest.